Our central text this morning comes from John 1, 11 through 13. He who came to his own and his own in his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much. Good morning. My name is Chaz. I'm one of the pastors here. And every time I see an Advent uh, candle lit, it reminded of a time when I was actually at church, not this one. And it caught on fire right as the pastor uh, got up on stage. So I'm glad that's fake. Uh, I think there's good reasons for that. Um, why don't we pray? Um, Lord, we are, um, as we are just knee-deep now in Advent, I pray it would not be lost on us of what that means. But Lord, apart from you, that we can do nothing. And when you came, you didn't come to a foreign world, but you came home because that's the story. We were meant to be with you forever. That is our story. And by coming, Lord, you have secured that forever for us. And we look forward to your second advent. Would your just spirit be with us this morning as we tackle a different, interesting topic? It's your name we pray. Amen. Um, a few years ago, I was getting ready to, a board meeting was getting ready to get started on, uh, that I was in. And it was a mixed crowd of uh, different people, different faiths, backgrounds, whatnot. And so I was just chatting up people before the uh, meeting started. And it was the same time, around about that same time, I was preaching from John 3 that week. John 3 is Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. And when he says to Nicodemus, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so I was curious, and I, I mustered up the courage. As I wanted an honest answer, and I asked, I said, so can I ask you guys, what images, words, thoughts come to mind when I say the term born again Christian? And an honest answer is what I got. Close-minded people. Angry people. People with political agendas. It's been said that um, 80% of Americans would prefer not to live next door to a born-again Christian. And if it's not associated with political power or anger, a lot of people might turn the term born again, okay, I know what that is. That's for people who've really made a muck of their lives. They've struggled with drugs and alcohol, and they need to get their life on track. They need a, a little religion, and you know what? They did. They got religion, and they got their lives back on track. Now they're super fanatical, but they, that's a born-again Christian. Many like us, many of us Christians are in the room. We've abandoned the term. We don't use it. It's a metaphor. We're sort of, it's foreign to us, but the term born again is what we call a neologism. Now, what in the world is that? Well, I just learned it this week, so here's a new big word that I'm teaching you. That's what a neologism is. It's, it's a word, it's a new word, or it's a word that once meant one thing that all of a sudden becomes a new meaning. For example, I grew up in the 80s, and we used to say, that's bad. We actually meant, that's cool, right? Though even PG movies in the 80s, that term itself means something new. Today, if you were going back and watching a PG 80s movie, you're like, wow, I can't believe they used to do that. That's a neologism. Born again is a neologism. When Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, one, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, that's offensive today for very different reasons. 
But make no mistake about it, when he said that, then, what its original meaning was, it struck at the heart of a deep offense to all of us. Because what Jesus was saying, to truly see the kingdom, you've got to abandon all identities we've taken on. Your gender, your race, you know, what country you're from, your social status, your wealth, your career, all these things. You've got to abandon any identity that has to center around yourself. Get rid of that and take on a new identity. And when we're born, we're born literally helpless, naked, frail. We can't do anything for ourselves. And he's saying that is something that you must understand that must happen to you spiritually because that's our condition. So we know this. In Advent, Jesus came. But one of the things we must recognize is he came to give us new life. And that's what it says. Even the Hark of the Herald Angels. Born to raise, I hear it in Nat King Cole's voice. Born to raise the sons of earth. Do you know the next line? Born to give them second birth. That's right. So there's three things we're going to look at this morning. What born again means. Two, the real offense of being born again and then becoming a child. So what it means, what is the true offense behind it, and then becoming a child. So let's, let's take a look. Now, we mentioned this last week. When, the, when John begins his gospel, the gospel of John's not like the other ones, right? There's, there's no long genealogy of names that we can't pronounce that take up a whole page. There's no shepherds in the field. It's not a very Christmassy intro. There's no manger. There's, there's no angels on high. There's, there's none of that. What we looked at last week is the book of John, the gospel of John, the first phrase in the book is what? In the beginning. Now, what do you think that might harken back to? Right? That's right. You're, are you here? <laughs> the book of Genesis. That's right. Yeah. And he's doing that. And he's saying, because look, in Genesis 1, what do we have? God created the heavens. He created the earth. He created the sky. He said, let there be light. Created humanity, right? But then you get to Genesis 3, and the lights are out. And we, it just showed up in one of the songs we just sang. A light goes out because a dark shadow comes over earth. Evil incarnate slithers into Eden, and humanity's relationship with God is just is fractured. It's fragmented. It's devastated. And now we are not what we were meant to be. Not only our relationship with him, but it takes very little evidence to look at the world and say, wow, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Our bodies are not what they're meant to be. Our souls are not what they're meant to be. And so when he says in the beginning, he's literally saying when Jesus Christ came, Advent, Advent is a second creation event. Because he came to earth to recreate everything. But it has to start from the inside out. It has to start on a soul level. So, and the interesting thing is, is John is very forthright. Not, not many people saw this coming or thought it was even necessary. He's very forthright, very honest. He says, Jesus came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Why? Why was this a difficult message to receive? I'll tell you why. Because, you know, the gospel is a wild <laughs> and audacious claim that's a bit offensive. Because when you come to verse 12, he literally says, but to all who receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now that, to say he gave the right to become children of God, I mean, there's, there's just a part of us saying, wait, wait, that doesn't make sense. The right to become children of God, Genesis 1, we already are his children, right? I mean, that implies something. What is he saying? That we, 
are actually not just born into the world as his children. We're created in his image. We're created in his likeness. But we're not, we're not just born default as children. It's something that we must become. You see this, for example, John the Baptist, right before even Jesus gets to earth, he's having a heated debate with the teachers of the law. If there's any group on the, the planet that could say we're children of God, it's these folks. I mean, these are people who've got moral scrupulousness. They've got religious pedigree. They're well-educated. They're the leaders of a religious nation. And, Jesus, and, and, and John the Baptist, he stands in front of them, and what does he say? He says, don't call Abraham your father. Because you know what? God can raise up children out of these stones. This is a verse we'll look at later. But in John chapter 8, Jesus Christ, this is the first attempt on his life. John's in a, Jesus is in a heated debate with the teachers of the law, same groups of kind of people. Wonderful pedigree. And he literally says to them, don't call God your father. Because if you believed him, you would receive me. You would have received my name. But you know what? As it stands, you can't bear to receive my word. Not your race, not your tradition, not your country, not all anything we do at all makes us born again. And that's the metaphor because, see, Jesus is trying to say, look, what is it about birth that makes it such a, a powerful metaphor? You know, he's saying, look, when we're born, we don't contribute anything to the world. <laughs> like nobody's ever stood in front of a baby and said, wow, here he comes. Wow, he's got a wonderful reputation, this baby, you know. I have heard all about this baby. I know he's super wicked smart. I've been hanging out with New Hampshire's. What did I have wicked kids come out for? But, uh, <laughs> all right, <laughs> wicked smart. Um, you know, he's done so much in the world. I, I've heard all about him. No. When we're born, we're naked. <laughs> we can't even hold our necks up. There, we have no credentials, nothing we can hang our hands on. We can't do a thing. I came out 10 pounds four ounces, and it wasn't like I was like, boom, take that six-pounders, you know? <laughs> like, hey, what's up? No, I can't even take credit for that. My mom had too many banana popsicles. That's what happened, okay? Right? Feel the chunk. No. Okay. And we don't even get to choose what parents we have. Here's my parents on their honeymoon, January of 1977, okay? I was born January of 78. So, you know, it wasn't like I was sitting around in the universe like, okay, I got a three-month window here which is terrible math. I've figured it out this week. But anyway, <laughs> um, I want to choose these people because, look, they look so fun. Look at her. She looks fun and sweet and nice. And look, at I like his pants. Hey, he just, you know what? He just made partners CPA firm. I'll get, I'll get college paid for. Like, I choose them. No. No. Let's get that off of there. Okay. <laughs> That's actually my favorite picture of them. They look so amazing. But anyway, you know, even the night, we don't even contribute to our birthing process. The night my son was born, he had a, you know, umbilical cord wrapped around him. And they actually had to take a suction to get him out. It got a little hairy for a little bit. It wasn't like he was like, you know, I'll just, hang on, Mom, I'll take this off real quick. I'll wedge myself out. You push, I'll do this. We do nothing. Nothing. When a baby comes out and lands on his mother's arms, do you know what that, what's happening there in that moment? That baby is landing in the arms of its only identity. It's landing in the arms of, of this person, and, and, and it's literally just looking at it and saying, you are my world. Hold me. Feed me. I'm not relying on any of myself. No, no baby 
goes to its mother right after birth and says, you know what, scrap all this. I've got a vision. I've got plans for my life. You know, I see my life going in a different direction. I'm strong. I'm a brave, independent warrior. And you're just kind of getting in the way of all that. I don't need you in the way. No, when a baby's 13, they will do that, but not on day one. They're laying into the arms of the only identity they have, and that's what John is trying to get us to see. Tim Keller put it this way, the late Tim Keller. He says, becoming a Christian is not just self-renunciation. It's not just self-realization. It's not another way to get self-esteem. It's self-transformation. You lose yourself to find yourself. You don't lose yourself. You don't find yourself. You lose yourself in service to Christ. You get your, there it is, identity in Christ. And then you realize who you've become, who you are, and who you really are, and who we were all meant to be. I mean, do we hear that? Do we really hear that? That to be born again is truly to, to find the truest self of us. The, the, what we were always designed to be. Now, I know some of you are thinking, you know, I'm listening, and uh, okay, this seems reasonable. Okay, I like this is a cool spin on it. I like the picture of your parents. That was cool. But, you know, why is this offensive? And you know what? Let's go ahead and jump right into the second point. We have to ask ourselves, why has this so traditionally been such a hard message to accept? Because one of the things, you know, we said it earlier in the intro is, again, we, the born-again person. Okay, it's the... The per, if it's not the political person, you know, it's just the person who's really doesn't know how to do life, and they need a lot of help. Like, they need, they need some serious help, and God bless them that they got it, and that, you know, they're fanatical now, but, you know, that's good for them. I'm glad they got their life back on track. And then John takes us immediately to John chapter 3, and we get to see a person, a person. And his name is Nicodemus. Nicodemus is not a man who needed to get a little religion in his life. What is he? If you know anything about Nicodemus, and we preached on this a couple years ago, and I'm sure you all remember every bit of it, uh, Nicodemus was a religious leader. Nicodemus had wealth. He took on a Greek name that implies he was born into wealth from a wealthy family. Uh, he, was, he had political clout. You know, he lived a very scrupulous life. You know, he was incredibly influential. He he had connections, and, and look at him. He even seems to be courteous. He's, he even seems to be open-minded. He's like, you know, hey, rabbi, he's talking to Jesus. Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who's come from God. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And you know what? If you're Jesus and you're starting a movement, this is the kind of guy you want. You'd think that Jesus would say, oh, thanks, man. That, oh, shucks. That's, that's really kind of you. Hey, look, we've got an opening in my band of disciples. And a guy like you, I'm telling you, that would get us on the map. That would get us on the radar. It, we would go viral if you would just join us. You know what he does? He does almost literally the same thing that he did with the rich young ruler. He looks at Nicodemus and does the most shocking thing. He says, Nicodemus, start over. Start over. To the rich young ruler, he wasn't saying, take a vow of poverty and then follow me. He was saying, no. Start over. Recognize that your wealth, your prestige, is not your identity. And it can never be. Start over. 
To Nicodemus, you've got a pedigree, and you think that's what makes you who you are. And if that's what makes you a child of God, start over. Have, have, you know, I'll just stop here real quick. I don't know how many times you've ever been through this scenario. I'm sure almost everybody in the room has had a scenario like this. Have you ever worked really, really hard on something? I mean, you've poured your heart and your soul into it, and you, you bring it to a boss, and they say what? Oh, that's not what I was looking for. Start over. How do you receive that? <laughs> like, does that go well for you? Of course not. Nobody likes that. It's like falling down the chute and shoots and ladders. Start over. Start over. We're furious. And here's John 8. I want to bring us to it. And I want you to look at verse 42 and 43. Again, people just like the Pharisees, just like Nicodemus, teachers of the law, the traditions, they've got the right ethnicity. They've got the right gender. They've got the right country. They this is a meritocracy. That's how we become children of God. Our, our traditions, we've earned it. We're those people. And Jesus throws cold water on it. And he says to them, he says, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord. He sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Oh, I'll tell you why. It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. Start over. This is not to say that somehow the choices we make in life, what we do with our lives, the stewardship, the character, this is not saying at all that those things don't matter at all. But what he is saying when it comes to being a child of God, zero bearing. Zero. We must be born again. Now, I think when Jesus is saying you must be born again. He's also, you know, he's clearly telling us how to enter the kingdom of God. But you know what I think he's also doing? I think he's telling us how the kingdom of God works, how it actually works. Because while this is a really, I want you to really think with me for the next five minutes. While this is, can be very offensive, start over. I got to say, I think this is the most liberating news on the planet, the universe. And I'll tell you why. Every single one of us in this room are absolutely convinced, and we spent all every day of our lives, every day of our lives, we have spent interfacing with God and with others on the basis of, I've got to build this identity. I've got to build a life that is lovable and acceptable by others, acceptable by God and others, and we go out on the work, and we, we build this identity. It's been formed in us since preschool. You do this. You make these choices. You become this. And what are we looking for? We're going out in the world. We're saying, look at me. Love me. Accept me. Celebrate you. Don't you see all the right? I, every avenue life threw at me, I made the right choice. Sure, I've made a few mistakes, but I want you to look at my life, and I want you to say, this is who I am. I'm the sum choices of all, I'm the sum of all my choices. But you and I know, if you're being thoughtful, if you and I choose to live like that, and we say, you know what, let's, let's buy the cultural narrative. Let's build our own identity based on what I do, what I do to my body, what do I do with my career, all these different things that make me more lovable. You know what happens? That identity will become everything to you. And the moment it's threatened, you will be devastated. The moment someone criticizes you, 
you begin to fall apart. All of a sudden, you run across somebody that's better at the thing that you think makes you you, or somebody's prettier, or a better parent. You know, their kid's more athletic, they're smarter. And you've, you've said, this is me. This is, this is what I do well in the world, and I, this is how I've gained love and acceptance my whole life. What happens? You melt. You absolutely melt. You get defensive. You can't, we can't deal with it. When Jesus said, you must be born again, he's saying, that game is over with me. That's what he's saying. It's over, that exhausting game you know, the idea of being reborn is not even new to Christianity. It's not. I mean, the ancients believed that the universe would be reborn. They called it the palingenesy, a genesis again. It rebirthed itself and started over and over and over again. But we do that, right? If you have an identity in the world that's not really as lovable and acceptable as that need to be, then what do you do? You, you know, we're told, all right, well, go fix that. Go get a new identity. Okay, your career's not opening the doors for you then go back to school and get a better job. Okay, nothing wrong with that. But all of a sudden, this is what we're told. It's like, but I've got to rebrand myself. You even see this in the annoying called football portal, transfer portal, right? All these kids announced, and Florida had a bunch this week, and it really stinks, and I'm really angry about it. But (laughs) Lord, help my heart, okay? But, you know, and every single one has this announcement. I want to thank Gator Nation, blah, 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 but I'm moving on. Hashtag respect my decision. Well, I don't, okay? <laughs> I don't respect your decision. But I'm going to rebrand. It's a, the language and a college football announcement that I am transferring sounds like a birth announcement. And when you and I see culturally announcements where somebody has made some rather seismic change to their identity, to their body, their sexuality, the, name, the language behind that announcement is, I am, I've finally become who I was always meant to be. I'm now my true self. I'm finally me. I'm finally comfortable after all these years in my own skin. Look at me and love me. But if you keep reading, if you pay careful attention, read at the bottom, do you know what you'll find of that same announcement? A threat and a warning. That if you don't agree with it, you're violent. If you don't celebrate with this, you have on your hands. Why? Why? Because if we build an identity based on myself, on me, if you can't accept that, I'm nothing. I have to have you give me back what I was looking for in this whole process. It makes us fragile, vulnerable, angry, angry. Jesus says, the reborn Christian, that game is over. That game of going out and trying to find an identity in our life what makes you so uncertain, so insecure, so defensive, self-preserving, at times even paranoid, and always living that constant feeling. And you know it, that you're not enough. That you're not enough. But Jesus is saying, lose all that. And if you're willing, if you're willing to do that, to truly lose yourself, do you know what's going to happen? If you come under my name, you will truly find yourself. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, this principle runs through all of life, and we see it in the headlines every day, from top to bottom. Give up yourself, and you will find your real self. Lose yourself, and you will save it. Submit to death, 
death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day, and the death of your whole body in the end, submit with every fiber of your being, and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that we have not been given, that we've not given away, will ever be really ours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Wow, what a line. Look for yourself, and you'll find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. It's everywhere. But look for Christ, and you'll find him, and with him, everything else thrown in. I could drop the mic and end now, but that's a great quote. So what does it mean, then, to be born again and become a child? It's interesting, in verse 11, and it's really amazing. This changes a lot here. I want you to really pay attention. You know, he says he came to his own, his own people did not receive him, and that's absolutely true. The Jews, in large, many of them rejected Jesus. He did come to his own people. But do you know that this, when it says he came to his own, literally in the Greek, do you know what that literally means? It literally says he came home. He came home. That's pretty amazing. And I don't, you, you might say, well, why? <laughs> because when it says, when, when Jesus came in Advent, to say he came home points to the larger story, doesn't it? The larger story, because there was a point in time in history when Adam and Eve, humanity, walked with God. Our home. His home, his home with us. And of course, sin severed that. But this has been the plan since Genesis 1, that this is our home when we are his merry, happy children. And this is the promise that's just unfolding, and we're going to look at this a ton next week. But look at every single one of these promises before Jesus, and there are many more in the resource talk. But he says, I'm going to dwell among the people of Israel, and I will be their God. They shall know that I'm the Lord your God. I brought them out of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I will make my dwelling among you. First Kings, I will dwell among the sons of Israel. Ezekiel 37, my dwelling place also will be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And when Jesus Christ has his second advent, when he returns to earth, of all things we hear said is, behold... The tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And we'll look at that next week when it says he came and dwelled among us. It's literally the word in verse 14, tabernacled among us. Why does this matter? Because Jesus, when he came, he wasn't like some Coast Guard rescuer in a helicopter throwing out a rope and saying, let me just get you out of this terrible place. He said, no. I'm coming home. I came home. Our home. God and man. To dwell with you, with my children. That's why the only the child heart of God can actually enter the kingdom. It's the only heart that can enter the kingdom. The entire universe at the second coming is going to be reborn. That's the promise. That what Jesus did to his body on Easter Sunday, he's going to do to your body, he's going to do this world. Everything is going to be, there will be no sin, there will be no death, there will be no tears. And when he came the first time, he began that work in our hearts. 
He began that work so much so that Tim Keller also puts it like this, that when we are reborn as Christians, we are getting a promise from the future placed in us today that we're reborn inside and the promises is all of this is going to be reborn when Jesus Christ comes. And that's what 1 John says. He says, look, beloved, we are God's children now, but if you are reborn, you're his child, and yet what we will be has not yet appeared. Now and not yet. But when he appears, we'll be like him, we'll see him as he is, and everyone who does, has this hope purifies himself. Do you know what a reborn Christian is? Have you seen the movie Benjamin Button? I hope you have, because this won't work if you haven't. Okay? But do you know what a reborn Christian is? Our life follows the trajectory of Benjamin Button. I mean that. We physically waste away, physically, and we look older, but internally, spiritually, we're inching ever so close, close to the day we were born into the new world. And every day, as a, as a believer, we're becoming more childlike, not immature, but more childlike in our dependency. Faith, hope, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Landing in the arms of our one and only true identity. Instead of giving you a list this week, sorry, uh, <laughs> I've got a person, and it's really interesting. So here's Nicodemus at the end of his life. He had this moment with Jesus, and he's befuddled, and he's like, how can I reenter my mom's womb? Like, what? <laughs> I don't get this. But you know what? After just hearing about Jesus, seeing him, maybe he heard him preach somewhere else, and just God working on his heart, after Jesus is dead, in the shadows of the night, this very inquisitive, righteous, and good man queried Jesus about being born again, okay, earlier. A man whose reputation was on the line. The pillar of his life was his moral upstanding in the community, but in the light of day, when the light of the world had been turned off at his death, it was this man, Nicodemus, who came, in view of others, to ask for Jesus' body. In the light of day, along with another wealthy aristocrat named Joseph of Arimathea, this man Nicodemus, he came and publicly asked the Roman governor, told you he had influence, for permission to bury Jesus. Is an odd request, not simply because his own fraternal order of Pharisees had pushed Pilate to order his execution, but also for who he was. Only slaves, this was the work of only slaves, only slaves came and took bodies off of crosses. Only slaves prepped them for burial. Only slaves did the work of laying them in a tomb. And here's Nicodemus becoming more childlike. Because this is a man whose social rank now, after knowing Jesus, seeing him die the way he died, live the way he lived, now he's trading in his identity, isn't he? His social rank seems to seemingly mean nothing to him whose moral scrupulous didn't form the base of his identity anymore. The death of the man he buried was now his very life, like a baby landing in the life of his mom's arms. When did it happen? I have no idea. That's not the point. The point is, he was alive. N.T. Wright put it this way. What matters most, for most purposes, is not that once upon a time you were born, though of course sometimes it mattered to you, can prove when and where you were born, but what matters is that you are alive now and that this is your present life. Day by day and moment by moment is showing evidence of health and strength and purpose because you are becoming more childlike in your dependency. 
So how can we know if this life is in us? How can we know we are born again? The only thing I've got for you is to ask you, are you becoming more childlike? Are you becoming more humble? Less confident in your own abilities in the sense of that's the basis of who you are? Are you more confident in him? Do you find yourself more aware of your sin, not less? Do you find yourself repenting more, asking for forgiveness, seeking forgiveness? Do you see yourself waking up in the morning and not just giving thanks, but recognizing without you, I can't even breathe? Then you've probably been born again. Let's pray. Lord, um, we thank you for giving us new life. And I do pray, Lord, it's a, it's a very important question for all of us to wrestle with. Is this, has my heart been supernaturally transformed by something I cannot do for myself? Have I truly my life for yours? Because your life was given for us. I pray that you would send the Spirit to really search us. And for those many in the room that are, that would say, yeah, I'm a born-again Christian. I haven't used that term in a long time, but I am born again. Help us then, Lord, to recognize that every day of our lives we are living out of that, that we are new creations today. And Lord, give us the childlike heart of the child for the kingdom. In your name we pray, amen.